Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello there and welcome to Locked On Suns, a part of the Locked On Network. My name is Kellen Olson, your host of Locked On Suns. We are now on iTunes. Uh, Make sure to go to our Twitter page, our Facebook page, or pretty much wherever you're seeing this or getting this audio from. You're either listening to it on iTunes right now, or you saw it on brightsideofthesun.com or Twitter or Facebook, like I said. There will be an iTunes link there. Make sure to subscribe. And then for all you people on Android or any other devices, Google Play is coming soon. So we're going to have that there. But finally, we are here. We started the podcast last Thursday. My co-host, my partner in crime, Eddie House, is here. Former 11-year NBA pro and 2008 NBA champion. That's a pretty solid intro, right, Eddie? Oh, that's a great intro. Hit the, hit the nail on the head with that. <laughs> you got you to gotta lead <laughs> with like the plus 10 years in the league, and then you got to lead with the ring. Like Those are the two most important things, I think. Those are the two most important things, the pension and the ring. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, you got the right idea. So if you guys aren't familiar with Eddie for some reason, I know a lot of you are younger out there. Eddie had over a decade in the NBA and played a substantial bench role for pretty much every team he played on. And, of course, his signature year probably was in 2008 with the Boston Celtics. He won a ring in Boston. He had the arena chanting his name during certain big playoff moments. He had a great year there. But one thing I want to do, Eddie, is I looked back on your year with the Suns. You played with the team in 2005, 2006, if you guys don't remember that was the year where Amari only played three games and was out for the rest of the year. That was the and we, Let Go me ahead. tell you, we, we, we were also picked last to finish last, and we finished first and ended up losing to Dallas in the Western Conference Finals. Western Conference Finals. You played uh, with Steve Nash that year who won. Obviously, you played with Steve Nash that year who won MVP that year. That was Nash, Bell, Sean Marion, Boris Diaw, Kurt Thomas, Leandro Barbosa, James Jones, Tim Thomas. You guys had a lot of depth on that team, but... The reason I bring that up is because Eddie only played 17.5 minutes a game that year, but he averaged 9.8 points a game. So I was like, that's really good efficiency for a player coming off the bench. So I was like, man, he he had to get some six-man-of-the-year love, right? So I looked back. Eddie finished 13th in voting that year. Mike Miller won six-man-of-the-year, and I actually went back and looked. And per 36 minutes, if you're not familiar with the advanced statistic, it pretty much looks at how many points, rebounds, assists, whatever you would have averaged per 36 minutes. So I went back and looked at all the bench players that year and looked at the per 36 minutes for scoring. Eddie House was number one in the NBA. He averaged 20.2 points per game per 36 minutes. Second was Channing Fry. Third was Earl Boykins. Mike Miller, sixth man of the year winner that year, 15th. Eddie finished 13th in voting that year. I'm calling it one of the biggest atrocities in award voting history. Eddie, you got to get at least like the top five of voting with those kind of numbers, right? I mean, I thought point- I would. I yeah, actually thought I would. On. I thought that year I definitely had an opportunity to win six man of the year, but for, for whatever reason it was, uh, it wasn't in the cards for me. And But it all worked out because it led to me going to New Jersey, then it led to me going to Boston eventually and winning the championship. So it all worked out. Maybe if I win that six man of the year, maybe the Suns re-sign me. I don't have a ring. 
Um, hey. I, have a little bit, I have a little bit more money, but I don't have the <laughs> ring. <laughs> hey, there you go. Uh, and the most impressive thing about that, honestly, we just rattled off that roster. You were playing off the bench with guys like LB, James Jones, Tim Thomas. These are guys that have the ball in their hands. They get their shots up. And you were still getting yours while you were on the court. I mean, at least top five in voting for me or something. But 13th, I mean, I understand the 9.8 points per game is like a really low number. And it just doesn't look that attractive. But, yeah, look at the big picture like I just did. So, I'm on the record right now saying Eddie House's six-man voting in 2006 was one of the biggest atrocities in NBA history. I'm saying it right now. I appreciate it. I I got your back, man. We got to have each other's back from the get-go here. We got to get that relationship going. So Eddie and I on the podcast are going to keep this Suns focused, as always, with Locked On Suns. But we are going to go to the NBA from time to time and talk NBA because I think we should because Eddie's got all that NBA experience and we want to keep it local but at the same time we do want to look at the national landscape every now and then Uh, but today we're going to start talking Suns because you have a relationship with Earl Watson in the past he is now the current head coach of the Suns after being the interim last year he got a three-year deal he really has the back of this team the team went out of their way in the offseason to make sure that he was the head coach. Tyson Chandler, Mirza Toledovich were two of the guys who really spoke out for him uh, in the offseason. Of course, Mirza Toledovich went on to Milwaukee. Tyson Chandler's still with the team, but the front office was kind of saying on media day, like, this is your coach. We got you, your coach. They didn't even go through interview processes. Um, what's your impression of Earl's fit with the team so far in the locker room? Well, when you get guys to step up for you, that means that they trust you. They fully trust you. When you're when you have a game plan and you devise a game plan, they're on the same page with you. They're not back talk behind you like, that's dumb. We should not show on the pick and roll. We should be going under. And I think it comes from him being an NBA vet, from him being in the trenches and having the respect of players because he actually played. Some players tend to not give the guy that hasn't played or been around the game that long respect mm-hmm. when I think all coaches should be respected to a certain extent and the extent that Earl is being respected is he has the pulse of his team, sort of like uh, Jim Harbaugh. You yeah. know, guys love Jim Harbaugh with the 49ers. And when the 49ers and upper management did what they did and got rid of him, a lot of guys left. Crabtree left and so did uh, Frank Gore. You know, mm-hmm. had some guys had some guys retire. So Earl is like that where he has the pulse of the team. He has he knows that it's one heartbeat and everybody's following. He is the leader on the team and everybody's following. So, you know, that. That goes a long way, man. You, you get guys to play hard for you that way. Yeah, they're a team that struggled immensely defensively throughout most of last season. And then once Earl got hired and once Earl Earl was with the team for the season, so they were already familiar with him. It wasn't just a random guy coming in. And they played hard for Earl. I believe they finished 15th in uh, team defense from Earl's time last season. And that's just effort. That's guys playing hard for their coach. And that's definitely a reflection of Earl, though. Earl played hard. I played against him in college and throughout the league. Mm -hmm. Very hard-nosed defender. Will get after you. Though I gave him 40 one night out here at Tempe. I won't, you know, throw that out there uh, (laughs) too hard at him. But um, You killed everyone in Tempe, man. I remember that. You killed (laughs) everyone there. He's definitely a a hard-nosed player, though, and, and a player to be respected when he was on the court. And he's carrying that over into being a coach. You know, just that that's that's who he is. He exudes... Um, a competitor to and trying to have and and showing excellence. So uh, I'm I'm happy for Earl, man, to, to see him out there with the opportunities that he's having. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch him this year and, and see his attitude and 
his mindset translate to to wins and victories and to what hard hard play for guys out on the court. I think it's really important what you were talking about earlier in terms of the whole uh, comparison to Harbaugh because this team is in like the middle of a rebuild right now. Essentially, they that that word is a bit explosive because it means like you're blowing up the roster. But they just won 23 games last year, so they're coming from the bottom, and that's a rebuild. So they're starting their rebuild effectively with Earl at the helm, and that's immensely important for them because, like you said, they have his back and he has their back, and that extends to the whole Brandon Knight situation. Uh, Brandon Knight started last year and started for most of his time in Phoenix. He started 96% of his games uh, in the NBA so far, but Devin Booker had a sensational rookie season. He had one of the best rookie seasons in franchise history. He was named the starting shooting guard. This was a big topic of conversation around the team in the summer if Knight was actually going to get benched, and he did. And Earl Watson came out and said that he thought Brandon Knight was going to be the most important player for the team. And that has a bit to do with sacrifice, right, Eddie? Because you made a living in the NBA off of sacrifice coming off the bench. Yeah, well, him getting benched, that's I think that's a, a harsh way to put it. He's just being put in a different position because I'm quite okay. sure he's he's going to be logged. Uh, he's going to log a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that they're definitely going to lean on. I just think with the starting Bledsoe and Booker is a better combination. Booker more of the shooter score. Bledsoe the hard nosed defender and can score as well inside the paint. So I think they complement each other better as a starting group. And then you could implement Knight coming off the bench safe for Booker, and then he has time to go to work, and then Booker can come back for Bledsoe, and Knight still has time to go to work. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how Earl's going to put this together, uh, the, how the rotation is going to go. But uh, Brandon Knight should not feel any kind of disrespect at all. It's a big a big thing when you're definitely one of the, the main guy that's coming off the bench. You're the one that everybody's counting on to come off the bench and give you that spark. So – I don't think that it's a, a disrespectful thing to where, you know, you say he got bench. I think it's more so, hey, look, this is a better fit for our team. And when you're looking for the greater good of the team and what you are trying to accomplish, and that's win games, if that's what it takes, then, hey, I think Brandon Knight is a professional. He will accept that role. Hey, look at Jamal Crawford over there. Yep. I mean, he's he's making a living at being sixth man of the year. And, and he plays extensive minutes, but he is a very integral part and a very big, big scoring he takes a big scoring load for them, and he's a big integral part of the team. So I think when Earl says he is the most important player, he is he is right on because this guy has to come in and accept the role and also know that, hey, man, this is this is my job. I'm going to do it. I'm still going to get my minutes and attack. And it gives him an opportunity to actually get a feel for the game. Like when, you, when the game starts, it kind of starts off kind of slow, but as you're sitting on the bench, you can see what guys got it going, and as a point guard, then you understand, okay, these are the plays I could be running. These are plays will be successful. I see that we try to run this play. It's not that good. They're on top of that play. But, oh, we can run a high pick and roll or side pick and roll. We're, we're getting a lot of we're getting a, got a lot of good plays, or we're able to get into the paint and do a lot of good things. So uh, it's advantages of coming off the bench. Yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you is, as a former player, when you're coming off the bench, you didn't play like these this many minutes off the bench, but Knight is still going to be playing like 28 to 32 minutes a game. He's going to be playing at least 30 minutes a game. Does that help a little bit in moving to the bench, in the transition in that, just knowing that like his playing time is still probably not going to change that much? 
Yeah, like, those are start. Those are starter minutes. Yeah. When you talk about 28, 30 minutes, those are starter minutes. Is that how he can look at it then as a positive? Is that something that is difficult to do for a player that has started that much? Or is it easier because you know you're getting those minutes still? Well, it's a lot harder if you know that your role is limited as far as the minutes you're going to get. You have to come out there and be as efficient as possible. As you can see how I was when I was with Phoenix, I knew I had a small amount. My window was very small, and I had to take advantage of it. And if some games I played better to where it got extended minutes, and some games maybe I didn't get extended minutes, you know. But um, with how he's going to be playing a, a starter minutes, he'll be able to to – not have to come right into the game and be looking to get his and start right away. He could already have a feel for the game because he's been watching it. And at the same time, it's not a forced thing. He doesn't have to come in and try to force and get money started right away. Like a, a Jamal Crawford, when he comes in the game, he's coming in to score right away. And I don't think Brandon Knight is going to have to take that kind of role. I think he still can ease himself into what he wants to do during that game. But I, he definitely will have an advantage by sitting back, watching. And then a lot of times he'll be going against the number twos. So he's a starter yeah. mm-hmm. that'll be going against the uh, the backup. So that'll give him an advantage as well. Yeah, I think he's going to thrive in the role if he fully commits to it. And from like what we're hearing from you right now, it sounds like he should be. And he, he's if he's going to be a professional going forward, it should be a great thing. He's been watching the preseason. He's been really going at it defensively which is a really big change for him because last year he did not play that well defensively, wasn't really giving it 100% all the time. But this year he's made it a point to really try hard defensively throughout the preseason at least. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. But that's the part that a lot of people overlook about rotations like this when you have such an important player coming off the bench because you're coming up against number twos and that's going to be an advantage for him every night. He's going to be like the best guard on the floor at most points when he's looking against his opposition. Yeah, he is. And, you know, the way Earl is is teaching the team to play defense, defense first, hard-nosed defense and get after it. Hey, when you get out there and start playing really good defense and you get in a defensive groove as an individual and as a team, that translates to good offense as well. So you get easy looks. You get some steals, get a couple layups. Now that three, the, the rim is looking a little bigger, the basket's bigger, so you're able to knock down some threes and – and not be so tight. So playing good defense translates to good offense um, a lot of the times. Yeah, let's let's end the podcast by talking about our overall expectations of the team. I talked about this a bit on Thursday, but what do you see from this team going forward uh, from the outside looking in? Because they have a future franchise player in Devin Booker from what we've seen, but they have a lot of pieces that are kind of all over the place. This, a theme of Media Day a lot was like, we've got a lot of young guys, but we got a lot of old guys as well. Is that a mix that's going to benefit them? You know what? The the West is is so tough and is so competitive that looking at the team, Devin Booker, definitely a, a star in the making. Bledsoe and Knight, really good players. But I think I see middle of the road, to, to be honest, to, to see a middle of the road for these guys. And I hope they do better, but – there's no bona fide super superstar on the team. Yeah. And if you look around the West, they're all over. So um, and, and and they're at the guard position. So you're going to need it's going to be tough. But I, yeah. it, defense can win them games. And that's that's where I think they can make a huge jump. If, if they are together defensively all as one, then they'll be able to get it done and, and make and, and make a push maybe 
for that eighth slot. But if not, if they're not out there defending, I just don't see that there's not that much of an inside presence um, as far as uh, going to them on the post to get a basket. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be it's going to be a, a tough climb, but this is how you said the rebuilding. You hate to use that word rebuilding because they didn't blow up, but it's the first year under Earl and his system being implemented, and, and then now you build from that. So 23 wins last year definitely is not acceptable. I see them winning more games than that, and they're going to have to put together some hellified defensive games for them to get into the playoffs. Yeah, that's something this team is capable of with Bledsoe and Chandler as the main fulcrums of that, and P.J. Tucker as well with his effort and intensity. When P.J. doesn't have, uh, he's a step or two slow at this point in his career, but when he can get to guys that aren't necessarily like lightning quick, a guy like James Harden, for example, he locked up James Harden last year, and Tyson can be the rim protector he was in Dallas two years ago if his health is fully there and if he looks like that player he was in Dallas. He can be a certified rim protector. We've seen Alex Len do that as well off the bench, and then Eric Bledsoe is a guy that is all defense type good on defense if he can really get there, so... I, I do see this team really improving from 23 wins. Like you said, that's just not acceptable for the caliber on this roster. I think I think mid-30s, you think that's a good number for them to set, Eddie? I think for them to set a goal, we've got to at least win 40 games and then from there try to get more than that. But mm-hmm. set 40, 30, 30 is not acceptable either. You know, yep. mid-30s, that's not acceptable. I think you try to get 40 games and try to be close to 500, then you could grow You You could build on that, but – Winning eight more games than you did last year, they, I don't think that's too much of building. I think that's staying the same middle of the road, bottom of the pack, um, mediocre, mediocre team. So uh, set the bar at 40 and try to go get 50. And if you fall short of 50 to 43, 44, then, hey, that was a successful season. Yeah, and that might be, that might be a playoff spot this year. The bottom of the West is going to be interesting. Houston went – underwent a makeover really they hired Mike D'Antoni as their head coach they have Ryan Anderson Eric Gordon there they're really going to be prioritizing offense New Orleans who knows with their health they've always had health issues with Drew Holiday Tyreek Evans Anthony Davis is a superstar just like James Harden is and those are those superstars you talk about where you're looking at competing with teams for like a seven and eight spot that's the difference but again Davis and others have struggled to stay healthy so who knows with this team like you said I think I think 40 wins is a decent goal for this team and is a really good goal and that, that might be enough in the West this year. Who knows? We won't really know until we get towards the end of the season. But we will be with you then, and we will be with you going forward. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the podcast. We will be back tomorrow with more. The Suns play the Jazz tomorrow night in Phoenix, and we will be bringing you uh, – I'm sorry, that game is in Utah tomorrow night. But we will be talking about the Jazz tomorrow, and then on Thursday we'll be recapping the game. We hope to see you then. Thanks, Eddie. All right, man. Take care. All right, see you guys next time.